Hey, and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 12 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Santemeyer, and I will be your host. Each episode, I will be having a transparent conversation with someone who cares about you and desires for you to be healthy, resilient, and confident in your life and as you pursue your mission. I know that one of the biggest roadblocks to health, resilience, and confidence is lack of clarity. I believe that the transparent conversations we will be having and the life stories we will be hearing will be invaluable for both you and I. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Mike Messner and we will be discussing the growth area of leadership intelligence. I had the opportunity of meeting Mike for the first time in December 2019 and he was walking through 360 and and some different other reviews that we went through for leadership development and he began to ask some different questions and his insight into confidentiality and secrecy. What does that look like as a leader and how do we differentiate between the two of those? We began to talk about trust and trust and what leads to trustworthy behavior. And Mike, he will unpack that in this podcast. And so as we were thinking about this and when I was going through the growth areas thinking, who could we interview? Who could we have a conversation with about leadership intelligence? I thought of Mike. And so he graciously agreed to be for this interview and to sit down and talk and have a transparent conversation so we could grow in our leadership intelligence. Mike has a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, insight into leadership, and you will enjoy your time. I'm sure you'll want to take notes and it's valuable. And I grew in the process, learned more from Mike and appreciated it so much. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, it's so exciting to be here this morning with Mike Messner, and we're so excited to have him on the Clarity Podcast. Mike, we met for the first time in December, and many of the things that you shared with us have just been running over my mind. And I was thinking about somebody for leadership intelligence. I thought, man, if Mike would be willing to do this, this would be awesome. So Mike, will you share just a little bit about yourself for the audience? Sure, I'd be happy to. And thank you for the invitation to chat today. As you said, we met back just a few months ago and had a great conversation about leadership and the work that we do and just really a good time. My background, been in the ministry circles for, oh goodness, 40 plus years now, I guess pushing 45 years. Most of my time has been split between the local church and then various kinds of settings that support the local church or support missionaries. So kind of the thumbnail overview of what we have done started, my wife and I, Sandy, and we have two kids. We started in ministry back in the early 80s. And some of the early things that we did is we, for a number of years, we worked with Dick Eastman Mm -hmm. in the Change the World School of Prayer when he was first developing his school of prayer and the material and had a wonderful few years traveling, working with him, mobilizing people to pray. Then we spent a number of years in a couple of youth pastorate opportunities. And then most of it was in Northern California, about 11 years as the executive pastor of Capital Christian Center in Sacramento. After that, in the early 90s, my family and I came to Springfield, Missouri, and we spent 10 years, worked with Brother Trask when he was the general superintendent and started as his administrative assistant and the spiritual life evangelism coordinator. And that just kind of morphed over the years into director communications and his chief of staff. 
So it gave me a good opportunity to kind of see how our tribe works from the inside out. Spent another couple of years, no, three years as executive pastor of James River Assembly after that. And then for the last 14 plus years, pushing 15 years, I have been just working with leaders, coming alongside leaders. And the way I like to talk about it is I uh, come alongside a visionary leader and help them to operationalize their vision. Hmm, And I really enjoy that. And what I discovered about the time when I was wrapping up at James River, I discovered that's how God had orchestrated our career path in ministry all through the years is we found a place, a niche in the kingdom to come alongside leaders and to help them as they had a vision, help them bring that vision about. And we've had a lot of great fulfillment through the years doing that. That's exciting. That's exciting. Mike, we normally begin the podcast with a question just centered around a lesson that we've learned in one of our growth areas. What is a lesson or a challenge you went through maybe earlier on in leadership or maybe recently that's something you've grown and learned from and a challenge that, yeah, there's something that this really helped you grow in this area of leadership intelligence? Well, as I think back through the years, maybe rather than one specific incident, I would put a number of incidents together and see a pattern that developed. And I think the mistakes I made, the challenges I had, the self-induced hardship that I created in my leadership came around poor communication and lack of transparency. Hmm. And so, you know, I was thinking back to those early years in ministry when I was a young executive pastor at a church and people would come to me and they would tell me more than I deserved to be told. And they were expecting from me things that I couldn't provide, but they would share confidential information. And so through those years, I created problems for myself by not handling information and communication properly. Hmm. And so that formed a lot of the things, the principles I operate by today, just because I didn't communicate well. And I'll unpack some of those as we talk further through the broadcast. Another part of that was not only not communicating well, so whether it's handing, handling confidential information, or maybe I just, for the team that I led, I didn't communicate well to, with them to let them know where I was going. Hmm. or uh, different points where I operated without good transparency. Okay. So I would say early in my career, my big mistakes were friendly fire problems. (laughs) I shot myself and I created the situations. Nobody to blame but me. And so much of that centered around the communication. That's good. That's good. We appreciate your transparency today and your honesty with us. And I think it helps identify. A lot of times we start off a podcast with everybody's wins and how they're so perfect. It's kind of hard to identify, but I think we've all had challenges and we can identify with people's challenges. And so we appreciate, Mike, your honesty and your sharing with us. Mike, one of the things we talked about in December was you talked about StratOps and you've been working with AGWM in that process. Can you talk about what a StratOps is in the importance of it, and just some of the, I know we can't go into deep, deep dive on it, but just an overview of it and the importance of a StratOps process. Sure. Well, basically, StratOp, the name StratOp, the one word comes from multiple words, comes from strategy, comes from operations, and the silent part of it is finance. So it's a facilitated process that takes a group of people, walks them through, this would be a group of stakeholders in an organization, walks them through a journey to create a roadmap 
with that, if you're going to have a roadmap and a, you know, most people would refer to as a strategy to go forward, you have to not only have a document that might have a written strategy, but you've got to have strategy in the sense of thinking about tomorrow. Where are we going tomorrow? And what do we need to do today to take care of tomorrow? Mm. So a good example of this would be most people, when they think of retirement early in life, they're thinking about many, many years ahead, sometimes decades ahead, but they're taking action today to accomplish something in the future. So Mm -hmm. strategy, I often encourage people, if they're struggling with the word strategy, cross it out and just write in big picture. What's the big picture? So you've got a roadmap that addresses the big picture. You also have a roadmap that addresses the operations. That's the day-to-day things that you do. Mm-hmm. And the third part is you've got to have the fuel of finance. So those three things are like the three parts of a rope, mm-hmm. three strands of a rope that are intertwined together. You're thinking about where are we going in the future? What are we doing today to get there? How are we managing what we do today? And then how are we financing this? And Stratop is a facilitated process in the sense that it has lots of different mental constructs, Mm -hmm. different tools, if you will, and getting a group of people together. Because one of the principles of Stratop is you want that group of stakeholders to begin to think about the whole Mm -hmm. rather than just the parts. Okay. So when you get five or six or eight or 10 people in the room, they don't represent a bucket of parts in the organization. They okay. represent a whole organization that is, is connected, integrated together. So when you go through that kind of process, so your question is, what's it do? Why would you want to do that? Well, it provides agreement on why we exist. Mm-hmm. It provides agreement around who is it that we're serving. Mm-hmm. So that's often a question that people don't really plumb the depths of. They'll scratch the surface of why do we exist, whether it's a church organization, missions, for-profit business, whatever. And they'll probably come to some understanding of why they exist. But then you have to ask, who is it that we're serving? And really get a grasp of that. Because if you have the wrong answer to that question, it could lead you in a direction that doesn't accomplish what you're hoping to accomplish. And then it brings the group together in agreement on where you're going. So if you know why you exist and you know who you're serving, then you've got to know where you're going. And then it gives common language. One of the things that I like to think about, in fact, it goes back to some of my mistakes in communication. Common language leads to communication. And communication leads to collaboration. Mm, That's good. If you have a group of people that come together and you don't really prove or verify or run the litmus test on common language, you can be sitting in the room with eight or 10 people using words, but people don't understand those words in the same way. So part of the communication of working with groups and providing leadership is getting everybody in agreement on what the language is. And then when you have common language, the common language leads to be people beginning to communicate about things. And once they communicate, that leads to collaboration. Good deal. Good deal. So, you know, there's lots of other things that we can talk about, but kind of painting with the broad brush. Yeah. That's kind of what Stratop does. And one thing that stuck out to me, I asked the question, I said, and I remember because I remember your response. And I said, in a strap, when does a strat ops end? And could you just explain your response a little bit? You said it doesn't end. It was your response. No. Can you explain why it doesn't end and sure. the importance of that? 
Yeah, it doesn't end. That's exactly right. So think of it this way, running an organization, leading an organization, regardless of the nature of the organization, a constant of corrections. So think of it like flying an airplane. So when you get into an airplane, whether you're a passenger or you're the pilot, someone has picked a target, like you're going to fly from where you're at to say Paris. Mm -hmm. And so you take off and you encounter all kinds of weather, all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of other aircraft traffic on the way. And you've got to make a constant series of adjustments, but you have very clear what your end target is. Mm -hmm. So leading an organization is very much that way. Once you go through the phase of perspective and you know why you exist and who you're serving and where you're going, then you have to manage your plan to get there and be coming back, circling back all the time, asking a couple of questions. One question would be, how are we doing on our execution of our plan? Mm -hmm. And the second question is, based on how we're doing, what needs to change? Hmm. So we're recording this conversation during this period of time where there's a global pandemic being talked about. And so you and I both have encountered people in the last two or three or four weeks, their lives are turned upside down because of a virus that is creating fear around the globe and people are responding to it in sometimes not a positive way. So consequently, when you're running an organization, that is tantamount to encountering a thunderstorm. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a thunderstorm that is going to affect your ability to carry out your mission. So you have to adjust. Sometimes you fly around it. Sometimes you land and then take off again later. Sometimes you make other adjustments. So to your question, does a strat op ever end? No, it doesn't because the questions that you're asking yourself and strat op is nothing more than a series of questions and a series of frameworks to think about your organization. So when you think about how are we doing and you answer that question, the answer might be we're doing really good. So what needs to change? You might change things to keep doing good or do Mm -hmm. more good. If the answer is we're not doing so good, then the question is what needs to change to make it better? Or maybe we're doing the wrong stuff. Let's stop it and let's do something else. Yeah. Or it's maybe we're encountering some other kind of issue and the question what needs to change forces you to make tweaks or maybe start over in a different direction or completely pivot and so forth. So that is a way of thinking about tools that have no end to their value, questions that keep taking you down the journey. So it's like you are on a journey and these questions about how you're doing on the journey guide you and keep you moving forward. That's good. Do you think that process is relatable to a family? I mean, is there key parts of that strat ops? Because you talked about who you're serving, why you exist. Could that be put on a family level too? Or do you believe this is just more for an organizational, yeah, an organization or business? No, it's not just for an organization. In fact, there is another part utilizing the tools and then some other unique tools. It's called the Patterson. The Stratop is, it comes out of the Patterson Center, Tom Patterson, who was a contemporary of Peter Drucker, Mm -hmm. Peter Drucker's best friend, is the guy that created the process. So he created it for organizations and he had such wild success that he found through the years that CEOs were just flourishing in their business and their personal lives were melting down. 
Hmm. So he had several occasions where individuals came to him and say, can you apply these tools to my life? And so he created what's called a life plan. Okay. So a life plan is very similar tools and questions, but applied to an individual's life. And of course, that impacts the family. Yeah, so sure. if you ask the very same questions about your life, like what is my rather than what is my, you know, who's my primary customer, you might ask questions in your personal life, like what is my native talent? What are those things in my life that God hardwired me with? So, you know, I said at the beginning of this talk that I discovered that coming alongside a leader was a place that I could find success and find fulfillment. Well, that came out of looking at my life and saying, hey, I'm not wired to be in the front chair of an organization, but I can sit in the cockpit and be very, very beneficial to the journey just by working along with the captain. And so that came out of looking at what are my talents? What's my heart? So talents are those things that God hardwires into you. Your heart is what develops over time. So for instance, let's say that you naturally discover that you're a teacher. I mean, you just are excelling in it. It's your native ability. So that's your talent. But where do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be a teacher in Africa, in a school in the interior? Do you want to be a teacher at a seminary in Europe? Do you want to be a teacher at a high school in Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. Your heart develops over time and you have a heart to do certain things. So you could apply that if you were a physician or in the medical field, where do you want to apply your talent as a medical person? And you have lots of places like that. So when you start looking at that, it takes you to, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, a mother, as a child, it takes you into questions about the family. And you can apply the same thing, like what is our mission as a family? What has God hardwired us and called us to do as individuals, but as a family, What is God asking us? What's our mission as a family? Where are we going? What's our vision for the future? And how do we spend our time? Yeah, That's a big, big question for individuals and for families, because particularly us guys, when we ask, answer the question, how do we spend our time? We tend to lie to people. <laughs> we tend, yeah, we tend to say, well, I spend a lot of time with my family and exercising and doing all these good things when in fact we're workaholics and we spend vast amount of time just doing work. Yeah. And so when we start thinking about it as a family, yeah. our spouse can help bring a little bit of truth to the matter. <laughs> oh man. Mike, one of the when we the other conversation we were and had in December and something that I have thought about, used, talked about so many times is we were talking about trust. And Mm -hmm. I remember you asking the question, you said, what creates trust? And we gave many answers. And then you responded, trustworthy behavior equals trust. Could you go a little bit deeper into that and explain how you've arrived at that point and that understanding? Sure. So through the years, just being in conversations where we talked about individuals or groups or families where we need trust and people saying, I want to work toward trust. You know, I've thought a lot about it through the years and came to the conclusion in my thinking, trust is a fruit. Trustworthy behavior is the root. Hmm, So if we want trust, if we want people to trust us, 
then we have to act trustworthily for people to trust us. I don't know where I ran across this, but somehow I ran across this idea or definition of trust is informed confidence. Hmm. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at that. Informed confidence. So today when I sat down in the chair I'm sitting in, you sat down in the chair you're sitting in, neither one of us thought twice about will the chair hold us? Yeah. Why is that? It's because we've done it a thousand times before and we are informed that that chair will hold us. Yet, if we were to have sat in a chair that we knew uh, the legs and questionable ability to hold us, we would have not plopped into the chair. We would have been very, very cautious. Why? Informed confidence. Hmm, So when we apply that to a biblical context, what does it say about informed confidence? Faith comes by hearing. What is faith? Faith is informed confidence. We Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So when we are in the Word of God and the light of the Word of God is becoming a part of the fiber of our being, we are learning to trust God because we are learning about Him. We're learning to have confidence in Him. So I think when I was with you and a group of guys, I talked about Psalm 91. Mm -hmm. And during those weeks, I had been thinking about Psalm 91 a lot. And in the first verse or two, there are four different names of God that are talked about when it refers to the Almighty and it refers to the Lord and it refers to God and so forth. And there were four different pictures of who God is. One picture is he's the supreme above all others. One is the picture of him being all-powerful. There's no power greater than him. Another one is he's the covenant-keeping God. And the other is he's the God that's close to us. So Psalm 91 opens up by saying, this is who we're talking about. We learn about who he is, and we have informed confidence that God is able to do whatever it is we're talking to him about because he's almighty. There's none that is more powerful. There's no place that we can go where he's not. There's no power we can encounter that he's not greater than and so forth. So informed confidence, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That same principle applies in my relationship with you. As you and I spend time together, and you learn how I behave, and I learn how you behave, I gain trust or I gain confidence because of your trustworthy behavior. So the way that gets played out is very, very practical. We tend at times to make it a bigger deal than it really is. Like trust is more of a feeling and more of a ability to make someone else feel a certain way when in fact, Developing trustworthy behavior starts by, for instance, if somebody calls you, call them back. If somebody sends you an email, don't ignore them. Mm. Even if you don't want to talk to them, acknowledge them. How we handle the phone, how we handle email, how we handle our text, our communication, even in different cultures. And I know you're sitting in Africa right now. I'm sitting in America and we're in two different cultures. But within the culturalized context, there are certain rules that are considered trustworthy or not trustworthy. That's good. And when we behave in a trustworthy manner in our communication, people come to form opinions. Another one in organizations 
I heard this first from Alton Garrison. Alton Garrison was teaching on, I think he was teaching on leadership or account. He got into accountability somewhere and he says, accountability is providing the necessary information before it's asked for. That's good. It's very good. So think about that. Think about that with the people that you follow and the people that you lead. If you provide the necessary information before your supervisor asks you for it, Mm -hmm. or if people that you are leading provides the necessary information before you ask for it, what does that do in terms of developing trust? Yeah. It's a very, very simple thing. It is. So those are just a couple of things that come to mind. So that relationship is two-sided then. It's the one who's following and the one is leading. They're both responsible for their behavior. And so- Absolutely. I think sometimes, as you said, trust becomes this emotional, ambiguous type thing, and there's not a whole lot of clarity. But it is the title of this podcast. It provided a lot of clarity in my life when I looked, I saw people maybe- that my actions were not trustworthy. And I was responsible for that. And as you said, I needed to take responsibility for that. And I could change that part of it. I couldn't change how they reacted to me, but I could change how my behavior and response to it. And a very important point, it's the small things that can erode trust really quick in communication, email, text. And as you said, getting information to the leader or to someone before they have to ask for it man, I know leading that this that puts a lot of money in the trust bank account for me when somebody comes to me before I hear it secondarily from someone else. And then it's oh, yeah. for there. Yeah. So the other thing, Mike, when we were together in December and you mentioned it a little bit earlier on, you talked about transparency and the conversation there was more on secrecy and confidentiality. And you talked early on in your ministry, how you handled information and communicated that was challenging. Could you just go a little bit more into that and how you handle things now? Sure. So secrecy and confidentiality. I'll give you a couple of examples and kind of unpack this a bit. I started by talking about mistakes I made in mishandling information. So one of the things that I had to figure out is how do you decide when someone tells you something, whether you keep that confidential or not. And it kind of leads into this idea of secrecy and confidentiality, because you look up those two words in the dictionary, they're almost identical in their definition, but the difference is the tone with which they play out in behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so confidentiality. So in communication, one of the things that I came to the conclusion on in when people were sharing information with me is I had to ask the question, when someone comes and talks to me, do I own that information? Is that my information? So one day I was thinking about that and I thought, okay, I was wearing a wristwatch at the moment. And I thought if I take my watch off and I give it to Aaron and I say, Aaron, hold this for me, would you? Do you own that watch? No, you you don't own it. I've given it to you and you're a custodian of that. So you don't have the right to give that away to somebody else. Yet if I gave it to you and I said, here, this is a gift, you have every right to give it to somebody else. And I thought confidential information is exactly the same way. When someone gives you information, they are telling you something because the tone of the situation is such that they're not necessarily trying to hide it, but they want it a shield to protect them, but they need to process it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I need to hold that because I don't own the information. I don't have the right to give that away. 
Mm-hmm. And that has helped me through the years tremendously. When somebody says something to me and I want to tell somebody else because I can bring light to whatever it is that they're talking about, or just because sometimes, I hate to admit it, but sometimes telling somebody something else that they don't know is just fun. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it can be a matter of their power brokers. If That's they're true. always the person that is up on everything and they know everything, it's a subtle way of having a position of power and Mm. people will come to you. So I had to think about all of that. And I say, you know, when people share things with me in confidence, unless they give me the right to give it away, I can't give it away. I don't own it. Just like the wristwatch, you didn't have the right to give it away. So often if someone tells me stuff, I'll just say, are you telling me this in confidence? Do I hold it? Or do I have, am I all right sharing this with somebody else? And I let them tell me if I don't know. Now, let's go a little bit further. The the tone of secrecy versus confidentiality. Secrecy is a tone of hiding things because you don't want transparency. You don't want other people to see things. Secrecy tends to be, the tone of that tends to be more demeaning of other people. So me hiding something from you because I don't want you to see it and sooner or later you find out about it or somehow the situation comes to light and I've kept you in the dark and I've dishonored you. Now, on the other hand, confidentiality, if I'm holding on to something that is confidential and the topic comes up and we're in a situation where I know you don't know, but I know. And I know that your attitude would change if you knew what I knew, then I act confidential. Sometimes I'll say, you know, yes, there is more to the story, but in order to protect the people involved, I'm not going to talk about it right now, or we shouldn't be talking about it. Mm -hmm. It honors both the person that you're talking to and the person that is not in the room. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is a guiding principle that I often ask myself, often think about, is the person not in the room safe? Hmm. That's good, Mike. Are they safe with me? Are they safe with you? And so the difference between secrecy and confidentiality is, in ministry in particular, we're dealing with matters of people's lives that if those matters came to light, it could be devastating in the ministry career. It could end a marriage. It devastate a family. And you need the shelter, the place that is quiet and confidential for people to process things. But it's not like we're hiding this because it's shameful Mm -hmm. and we're creating a secrecy about it. We're creating a confidentiality about it because people need confidentiality. They need private places to process things. That's good. And we don't process everything out in the open with everybody. We process certain things in private places. So that's how I have come to think about the difference between secrecy and confidentiality. I don't want to create an atmosphere with the people that I work with that I'm constantly being secretive and I'm trying to pull something over on you. Yeah. But what I do want is I want 
you to know if you tell me something, I'm going to hold it in confidence. And if somebody else has told me something, I'm going to hold that in confidence. Even if I have to say, hey, Aaron, I can't go there. They did talk to me, but they talked to me in confidence. And I have never, in all the years of operating that way, I've never had anybody challenge me and say, no, I want to go further. I want to hear more about this. Mm, They always respect that. And it comes down to the tone and it comes down to trustworthy behavior. When you began to operate in that way, Mike, did it take some courage the first few times to say that? Because I think in conversations, as you said, some people like to have the information because it becomes a resource. If I know something, I can use that resource and I can play it to my advantage. And sometimes people will do that. But then also in a conversation, I assume as you would build a muscle up and strengthen to say, hey, you know, I think so. Does it take courage to just stop the conversation and do that? Or is that just something comes natural to you? Or is it something you've developed over time? Oh, absolutely. It takes courage. It's scary at first because you say to someone, hey, wait a minute, let's not go there. Yeah. You run the risk of offending them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I still, I have situations in certain situations where I will, I'll say something uh, and I don't know if I'm in the and it is scary. But what I'm more fearful of are the consequences of violating the confidentiality. Yeah, that's good. And so what I've come to through the years is most people that know me and work around me know that if they share something in confidence and they say it's in confidence, then that's as far as it's going to go. And I don't want to give up that sacred trust in sacred relationship, because what I've found, there are very, very, very few people that operate that way. And to the best of my ability, and I do violate it from time to time, and I always try to correct it. It's like somebody said not too long ago, they said, I believe in confidentiality. I've just never seen it work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, but it takes courage. You know, I just even think the medical side of things, I mean, people will call in, but it has really helped me that the motive behind confidentiality and secrecy and who you're trying to protect and how you outlined that for me, it's been golden and I am so thankful for it. Mike, we normally end the podcast before we end in prayer, but we normally end with something that you're excited about. Is there something that you're looking forward to, you're excited about maybe in ministry or there's something you're excited about in your organization or your leadership, or maybe it's family, I don't know, but to end on something, we began with the challenge, but we also like to end with something you're excited about? Well, um, I think one of the things I'm excited about these days is being involved in a business's mission, Mm -hmm. because that is such an up-and-coming methodology of doing missions where more and more career missionaries are finding themselves involved in operating a business as the methodology to get into a community, to have entree into that community. So to be a part of that and to be able to, like I said at the beginning, come alongside visionary leaders, help them to operationalize that vision. And then if that vision involves a business, then it's really been a really fun journey to be a part of it. So that's exciting. You know, working with a lot of folks these days doing that stuff. That's exciting. Mike, would you take a few minutes and just pray for our audience that the things that you've shared and the Holy Spirit will not just be a podcast that they listen to or that I listen to, but these are things that we will put in practice in our leadership skills. And these are things that we will put into action in our lives. Sure. Be happy to. 
Lord, I pray that you take the words of this conversation today and you breathe life into them. There's nothing special about our words, but just as in Genesis at the beginning, you took dirt, nothing but dirt, and you shaped it and you formed man, but then you brought man to life by breathing into it. And Lord, I pray as we talk about this subject today of being trustworthy and confidentiality and leadership, and Lord, I pray that the people that are listening to this and are thinking about their very specific situations, maybe conflict with a colleague, maybe a situation where they need wisdom, Lord, I ask that you would breathe life into their situation. Lord, that you would give them wisdom. Lord, I know that there are people right now listening that are wondering, scratching their head, wondering, what do I do about a certain thing? Lord, your word tells us that you promise, you make a promise to us that if we would ask for wisdom, that you would give it. And I ask, Lord, right now on their behalf, that you give wisdom to them. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon the listeners and they would sense your presence with them, that you would lead and guide them. I ask that when they go to the word, that the light of the word would illuminate their pathway in a very real way. Right today, where they're at, where they're walking, may you give them a word for today and then give them another one for tomorrow. Let the word of God be like in their heart feeds them, nourishes them day by day, and it's fresh every morning. So Lord, I ask that the light of your word would be that kind of thing to them. And Lord, I pray for Aaron in his ministry in this podcast. I pray that you would give him favor, that you would lead him to bring the right guests, have the right subjects, and just use it as a tool that you use to bless others in your kingdom. So we're thankful for all that you do. Lord, we don't deserve any of your goodness. We don't deserve anything, but you give it to us anyway. So we're grateful for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I knew you wouldn't be disappointed with our time as we sat down with Mike and learned from him and to grow in the process of leadership intelligence and growing in that area, that specific growth area. And we just want to thank him for his investment into the listeners. And as I shared, that if you didn't get anything else from it, which there was a lot there to unpack, but just that idea of trust, how do we develop it through trustworthy behavior? How do we get and walking through that? Because a lot of times as leaders, that's what we're trying to develop. And then those we lead, that becomes a question. How do I gain trust? How do I develop trust in that process? And what it all comes down to is trustworthy behavior and that builds trust in those we lead and honestly as leaders that's how big people trust us more if we have trustworthy behavior it's easier for them to trust us in that process the other thing is we began to talk about we working with people is the difference between confidentiality and secrecy and focusing on the person if we have their good in mind and giving them information away that's not ours to give away and his illustration there of somebody gives us something I don't freely give it away. And the same thing with information, because information is resource. And as leaders, as we walk through that, how are we using the information that is given to us and walking through that process? So Mike, we just want to thank you once again for investing in us and letting us grow in this area of leadership intelligence. And so we do want to spend just another minute just to thank our sponsors that allow this podcast to be on the air. 
We've grown now to 55 different countries listening in, and the downloads are going faster and faster each month. And so we are appreciative of that and appreciate you listening in and sharing the podcast with others. We'd like to thank agwmafrica.org for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Africa.org, and by Appalachian Spring Dermatology, bringing new life to your skin. Learn more about the medical, cosmetic, and cancer screenings and treatments at Appalachian Spring Dermatology. And sign up for Dr. Rosenberger's blog at wvderm.com. And by Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland. Caring for each person, connecting each story, and celebrating each miracle. And by Dr. Sean Ricker at Cumberland Optical, Advanced Care, and Friendly Service, and by Wes and Peggy Reed, Collaborators in Life and Mission. And so we are looking forward to the next episode. It'll be episode number 13. We'll sit down with Nancy Rotz and uh, have a very transparent, open conversation. And she's going to provide some valuable insight in this specific growth area. And so we're looking forward to that. And so until next time.